Welcome to Case by Case. This is a podcast brought to you by Callum Chay and Luke Zadkovich. How are you, Callum? Very good. How are you, Luke? Good, good. I'm I'm pretty excited about today's episode. This is a really interesting one. Yeah, this is one of those ones where I got more excited the longer I read the decision. It really builds nicely and it's an interesting area. It's a very new topical area. Um, Starting to see cases come through the courts on it now and this is a good example we're talking about bitcoin everyone so yeah we're gonna we're gonna touch on i, I had to write this out as a list callum we're gonna touch on blockchain hacks forks decentralization code nodes miners bugs developers a hash a fork and we're not talking about you know a knife and fork a fork um patch but what's, I think, like most um, attention-grabbing is we've got um, Satoshi Nakamoto himself as the plaintiff, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> the very litigious um, potential Satoshi himself. Um, he's, he's in court on a few things. Um, really? Yeah. Okay. This, is, this, is, this is one of a number. Um, I think it, in one of the other... In one of his other cases, he is asserting that he has the copyright to the initial programming of uh, the Bitcoin network. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So he's yeah he is um, familiar with the rules building, I imagine by now. Yeah. Look, it's um, it's a, it's a really interesting one, and this case, in many ways, well, it will not be the final word um, on the issues we're talking about. Um, but it really opens up a can of worms, uh, where, where, the way that I look at it, on some fundamental aspects of what we understand Bitcoin is all about and these digital currencies, uh, whether they can be um, accessed in some way other than through the private keys that, that the Bitcoin owners get. Uh, it's just It's such a kind of fundamental understanding or at least perception about how these things work uh, and this case gets into whether the developers of Bitcoin owe fiduciary duties to Bitcoin, Bitcoin owners but also um, an individual Bitcoin owner and, and that's actually quite an, an important distinction in and of itself. So much to talk about, it's a little bit hard to know where to start. Yeah, I mean so this is this is also the kind of prequel. At some point in the next year, I imagine we'll be speaking about this case again when this question gets answered. Because I don't see this one, I don't see any, any possibility whatsoever of this one settling. Um, so it's going to go back and there's going to be another interesting decision on it. I think probably we should start by explaining the background to this, to this judgment. Yeah, and before we do... Um and there's a quote that I wanted to read out that I just, it summed it up for me about what this case is all about. Um, and that is this. The internet is not, let me say that, let me say that again. The internet is not a place where the law does not apply. Isn't that a beauty, right? And, and, and that's what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about technology that has developed far ahead of the law we've got these let's let's say archaic type concepts of fiduciary duties or at least very well established is probably a better way of putting it um, that we know so dearly and deeply in other areas of um, of life and societal life and we then have this new technology coming in and trying to mesh new technology with um, old duties and how they go together, if they go together. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting that looking at technology and law and how it comes together. And this quote for me uh, is what it's all about, is that the internet is a place where the law is going to apply. It's how it applies to it, right? Challenges with applying the law to the internet at large is, it is not a reason not to do it. Because this is what they're looking at when he when he says the internet is not a place where the law does not apply, that's in the context of, well, what's the point of doing all of this? Because it's so hard to enforce anything that, you know, it, we, 
is this just a waste of everybody's time? And um, the Lord Justice here is saying, no, it's not a waste of everybody's time. The internet is somewhere where we have to have, we have to have legal systems that work for this thing. Yeah. And actually that for me is the undercurrent to this whole decision is that really what the Court of Appeal are saying here is we can't just write this stuff off. We have to engage with it and we have to think about what kind of duties are owed to different people. And in the, um, we'll get into it in, in more detail, but in the, in a situation where you have developers who are responsible for looking after a vast amount of property, you need to know what duties apply to those people. We have to engage with this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's get into the facts and what we're talking about in a moment. But I think it's useful just to kind of set the procedural posture here first. Um, and it goes to this point is that um, we've got Bitcoin owners that or owner that is um, asserting certain duties, fiduciary duties against the developers of um, of Bitcoin and, and, and four networks in particular. And what happened at first instance here is uh, there were some jurisdictional hurdles um, that, that a, a, a claimant needs to get through, one of which is that you have a decent claim, that you, there are actually merits to the claim, it's not fanciful, and uh, you, can, you can make out um, that there's a, a serious issue to be tried. Um, and it was at that on that point that the claimants failed. Um, and you know, th there's a lot to talk about in the in the actual reason for that. But what procedurally, what's then happened is it's gotten appealed, and we're now looking at whether um, the this issue about whether. Uh, developers have a fiduciary duty is one that's sufficiently arguable to go to a full trial. Uh, and why I wanted to mention that at the outset is because one of the factors that the court will consider, particularly in a new area of law like this, or, or where the law is branching out into having to deal with new issues that have not come before the courts before, is that that's, that in and of itself is a good reason for it to go to trial. One, to ascertain what facts actually are decided and so it gets some law built incrementally as the common law grows on actual facts rather than assumed facts but also let's not shut down the debate before we actually have it like this is it's almost like this is an exciting area of law this is exciting for the courts to deal with this is this is something we've not had to deal with before. Do, can, can we stretch fiduciary duties into into Bitcoin developers right? Well, let's, let's get into it. Let's have a proper trial. Let's get some facts heard. And then, then we apply the law to it and say, well, it doesn't fit here. Yeah. It's, I, I think, so, so what is being argued here is there's this, this uh, guy, Craig White, through a company called Tulip Trading Limited. And he alleges that there is some Bitcoin. And when I say some Bitcoin, I mean $4 billion worth of Bitcoin, depend, depending on the day. <laughs> um, but but he his his he he alleges that that bitcoin belongs to him and that through a hack he's lost the ability to have access to it his argument is that the developers of bitcoin and we can get into what that means um and who those people are he says that those developers have the ability to implement a kind of software patch that would have the effect of giving him back possession to that bitcoin and he says that their that their refusal to do so has been um, or will be in the future a breach of their fiduciary duty to him. Um, so, the, the, and the question, and and this is a, this is now in the court of appeal in the high court, they said that that claim didn't have any serious prospects of success. There was no there was no serious issue to be tried because you couldn't create a fiduciary duty between the the kind of the developers of the um, the Bitcoin network. And each individual user of, um, or each each individual owner of Bitcoin, they, that was something which they ruled out. Court of Appeal then takes a look at it and says, actually, we're not going to answer the question. We're not going to say whether or not there is a fiduciary duty, but we're going to look at whether you can credibly argue that there is one, and then we'll send it back to be um, to be to be looked at in more detail if we think there's a serious issue to be tried. And as we've discussed, this is this is what the Court of Appeal says. They they say actually. You can just about make out how fiduciary how fiduciary duty could be could be said to arise in these circumstances. 
and therefore there is a serious issue to be tried. And it probably helps, as you say, that it's quite an interesting issue to be tried. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, yeah, as Callum says, we're in the Court of Appeal. Lord Justice Burst gives the um, leading and only um, uh, decision here. With, uh, with him, Lord Justice Lewison and Lord Justice Popperwell agree. Um, so we have a unanimous decision here. It was handed down only recently on the 3rd of February 2023, and it's a an appeal from um, Mrs. Justice Falk, uh, and we've got a citation here for those that are interested of twenty twenty three EWCA Civ eighty three. Um, I, I thought before we get into too much of the law, which I'm really interested to get into, uh, perhaps we could we could just delve into Bitcoin a little bit here, Callum, and, and what is it? What are we talking about? Maybe it, it'll help if we, if I take the role of the person who has no idea and you take the role of someone who does have an idea um, and I'll jump in here and there and say, what's that mean? What's this mean? Um, and I'm not going to admit to that's how it is between us, but, you know, I'll let listeners come to their own view. Um, I tried my best, and I've got to say, the, uh, joking aside, this is a really good summation of what Bitcoin is, and I, I could follow it. I understood it, and I think <laughs> if I can say this, then I'll say it with great respect that um, for for those that don't find this stuff, you know, easy to get your head around, this is a great way to to read about it. Yeah, from paragraph eighteen of this judgment, the description of what Bitcoin is um, and how it works is really is really really good. Um, and to to kind of crib from that description, effectively the the problem that Bitcoin seeks to solve, among other uh, cryptocurrencies, is that if if I want to give you ten pounds, then I can give you ten pounds in cash. I can give I can put a tenner on the table, and once you have it, I don't have it anymore. Which means that we don't have the problem of creating extra ten pound notes. There's only one. It's either either you have it or I have it. I think the word that they use is rivalrous it's a it's a rivalrous thing yeah, exactly um and this is the possession the possession exactly it's the possession problem and once and once you go to a shop and you pay for something with that 10 pounds then someone else has it you can you can't spend it twice the the difficulty is when in in a world where almost all money is electronic now and things are traded electronically if i want to if, if i want to send you something electronically if i want to send you a photo if i say oh this is a cool photo Luke will like it and i send you that photo I don't actually send you the photo. I copy the photo and I have it and you have it. And that doesn't work with money because we can't both have it. So what Bitcoin tries to do is create a system where the money can be transferred only once or the Bitcoin can be transferred, um, properly transferred. And the, you, you may be listening thinking, yes, but I have apps on my phone where I can just transfer money through, uh, Revolut or through, uh, RBS or whatever it is. And that's true. But what you're introducing there is a, a kind of trusted m middle ground of we, you know, we say that my bank um, is transferring money to you or I'm transferring money to you via banks and we're happy that the banks are good. Um, you know, they're, they are, they, we, we put our trust in those institutions to affect the transfer between our accounts. And they're regulated, they're subject to, you know, the way that they work, and there's a whole kind of body of operational regulation around that trust. Yeah. Exactly. And the, and so the idea of Bitcoin is to is to create a system where where trust is built in. It's inherent in the system is that the is that it can be trusted and it's not it, you don't need any trusted intermediary because the, the system is founded on on the impossibility of it going wrong. Can I just stop you there? Uh, because uh, you've said trust in the space of about three or four, you know, three or four times in the space of you know a few seconds. Is it, when you, when it's described like that, doesn't it kind of leap off the page that well, is a fiduciary duty going to come into this somehow? You know what I mean? Like, I, but I'm not, I'm not taking you up on the way you're describing. I totally agree with you. I think that is what it, what's happening here, right? You are introducing a, 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 a different way of building trust on holding property, and what this judgment all goes to exploring is. Well, what duties is built into this mechanism of trust that's being created? And it's interesting because for those who kind of follow um, yeah, blockchain developments and cryptocurrency and these these types of things, tr this idea of, of an in inherent trust in a system is a massive thing. And I, I remember in the 
kind of earlyish days of um of blockchain there is a there was a book that did the rounds i think it was called the trust protocol and it, right. it is like a it's 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 a it's a buzzword in that community because it's it's a it's a very big thing for them is that you create this decentralized network which then means that you you don't need to trust anybody the trust is part of the system yeah. um and like i i I, I'm I'm kind of familiar with this stuff. I'm, this is unlikely to be a authoritative explanation of how blockchain and crypto blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies work. But it, effectively, something like um, on on the Bitcoin blockchain, there is a, a a kind of register of each transaction and and ownership and and a huge number of com- of computer massive amount of computing power. I think at one at one stage, computing power was similar to the energy. Consumption of Peru on the on the on the Bitcoin network. Um, people are trying to find the next hash in the chain, and there's and the each each block in the chain records all of the ownership of blockchain. And when it gets transferred, then somebody has you have to use a lot of computing power to try and generate the next block in the chain, which will have a unique hash. Which in some way, once the computer finds it and runs through all the different possibilities of different hashes, they find one that works. And that then gets sent out to the entire network, and the, and basically the network either accepts or rejects it, and it's linked by that hash to the next link in the chain. And if someone tries to create a li- another link in the chain which is wrong, which doesn't fit, with because they because they've said I want to ch- create a new link in the chain where I own all the blockchain, where, where I own all the Bitcoin, then the other computers in the network will reject it. Right. So the the kind of critical mass is the computer saying yes, that was the right answer. That that creates the next block in the chain. We agree. We agree. We agree. If you go back three, four, five, five thousand blocks and say, "Actually, I'm going to tweak it now," you know, back then to say that I have all the all the Bitcoin in the world, then the rest of the computers will say, "No, that doesn't work," because by changing that, you've then changed the unique hash in that block, which is then used in the next block as part of the as part of the chain. Is that is that where the fork comes, or is it all the fork a little different? The fork is a little different. Because the fork creates. Like, Creates a throw-off network. Yeah, right? and, I th- and I, th- I think again, this is far from authoritative, but I th- and my my understanding is that, as with any software, these things don't always work perfectly. Right. So things will go slightly wrong in the blockchain network. It's all open source. I think anyone who has a kind of interest in this and knew more about technology than me would be able to go and look at at the 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 software that is bo- that is uh, Bitcoin. Um, but there's a team of developers. Who I think must be volunteers, or maybe they're miners. I don't really know. But one of the issues with this case is how do you how do you find those people who are supposed to have fiduciary duty? But they may say there's just a problem now with the way this is running. You know, for example, the um, one of the other major uh, cryptocurrencies has changed their entire system to go not from proof of work, which is the, the you know find the next hash in the chain. But to proof of stake, which is where people prove that they have ownership in the, um, they have ownership of the cryptocurrency, and through that, through that, they can create new blocks in the chain. A bit more complicated than that, but the the reason for that is that it uses a lot less computing power. So one of the issues with Bitcoin that comes up quite a lot in the press is that it's very unenvironmental because you're running so many different computers to try and generate this next uh, next block in the chain. Um, so, so for example, the software engineers might say, or the, the developers might say, there's a more environmental way for us to run this this network. But the change would be so great that we have to fork off into a new into an entirely new network. And so, so just pausing there for a moment, because this this does come up in in the decision. To what extent are the developers? So, what's the interaction between the software, the code software that sits on GitHub, um, and how the developers can change that? With the blockchain that's developing through the mining process, like how, how do those two interact with each other? It's a good question, and I'm honestly not sure. But in the judgment, there's a there is a section where he says, if if the developers kind of say if we were to do some of these things, then it would just be rejected out of hand. If we, you know, the the, the people with a stake in the um, in the continuation of the, of the blockchain would say we can't accept these these changes. We 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 reject them. This is the point that miners would reject them, right? The miners wouldn't take it up. Yeah. And that is a, a factual yeah. issue that's very much in dispute. So at trial, that, that'll be something that needs to be um, decided upon. Because the, and this goes to the kind of fundamental idea of this technology, which is that, you know, what, what, um, Tulip 
the, the claimant is asking for here is for somebody to go in, one of the developers to go in and essentially move that um, Bitcoin without somebody authorizing it. They're saying that we want you as a developer to go in and start messing around with stuff. And that's complete anathema to the entire kind of blockchain industry and blockchain world because that's not what you're allowed to do. The whole well, exactly, exactly. And, and ha- so how does an owner of a Bitcoin get access to their Bitcoin? I mean, nowadays people can buy cryptocurrency on a number of exchanges, but mm. that's not necessarily, that's not strictly have uh, mean that they're holding in their own wallet the um, the, the Bitcoin. Um, I moved with the private keys. Yeah, so with the private keys here, there, there's a there's a kind of public register of ownership. Mm-hmm. And again, you can look at who owns all Bitcoin in the world, except when I say who, I mean an address. So there'll be an address that, that owns a certain amount of Bitcoin. The person with that Bitcoin at that address then has a private key through which they can access and transfer their Bitcoin mm-hmm. to other people. Super important, right? The way that these these systems work. It's, well, you, you get access through the private key. So it's a little bit like if you, you know, you're out on the street and the $10 drops out of your, your wallet, it's gone, right? Unless someone has, picks it up and gives it back to you. If you, if you lose your private key, you're done. You know, if you forget, forget where you put it, it's on a hard drive that gets thrown out in the dark. There's big cases where the private keys being stored on a hard drive that's ended up in the dump. Yeah. And people have gone looking for it to try and find it because it's worth you know, millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, but, it, but access is through the private key and, so, and only through the private key. Yeah. And so the, the point about that in the context of this case is that it's not just, it's not like going to um, you know, your local uh, key cutting place and getting another key cut. Right to get into your door if you have the the main the master set or whatever, it's not like that. You can't just go to the developers, as I understand, and easily at least. Uh, this is again part of the debate in the in the actual trial, or will be part of the debate in the actual trial. You can't just go get another private key. Can you can you send it to me again? Like, like you do with your bank? Can you send me my um, my pin code for my card? <laughs> no, exactly. And once, or, or if you get hacked and someone steals it, then they've stolen it, and the whole. The whole principle is based on this idea that you can't go back through the different chains in the blockchain and say, actually, I want to change that one because that was a fraud, or that I want to change that one because that one was that one was wrong for some reason. You don't have that kind of recoverability. Once it's gone, once it's nicked, then the 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 the, the next block in the chain just records that it's been transferred to somebody, and that's it. And now, now that is the way that it will be forever until that person then transfers it to somebody else. And and what's interesting about this is what. What the, the legal principles underpinning this decision, and this, this is a preliminary decision, it's, as we've said, it's got to go for full trial and nothing's actually been decided here other than there is a serious issue to be, to be tried, giving the game away, that's what is decided here. Um, it, what's, what's really happening is this, um, this fundamental question of should the law be applying duties over this type of situation? Should it be the case? that the developers who set up this, um, this whole system of working do not have any duties to that individual Bitcoin owner who happens to lose their keys, or in this case, is hacked. Um, and if someone steals the, the private keys, should it be the case that the, um, the system that's been created has no duties to the people who are using it? And I think most of the people in this space will say that the duty cannot be, can't, can't go that far. Because I, looking at it from the other side, it could be the case that somebody actually owns these um, Bitcoins, the 4 billion in Bitcoins that's that's somewhere else. Every, you know, although you can, you, you can tell which public address that Bitcoin is sat in, and you can say it's not moved in seven years, you know, no one's, no one's doing anything with it. Um, but it could be the case that that belongs to somebody in Peru or someone in China, or it could be someone in Australia, and they don't have any obligation to say, yes, I am that person, that's my, that's my Bitcoin. That, that again, is, um, it goes against the whole principle of this, which is that the, you, know, you don't have that public list of names, you have a public list of addresses. Um, and if there's a requirement for the, if, if there is this fiduciary duty, 
then the burden that that would place on the developers would be enormous to basically have to go and verify all these different, you know, in each case, who's, whose is this? Um, every time somebody alleged that they, that, that actually the Bitcoin was theirs, then somebody else would have to come and say, no, actually it's mine. But I suppose that's, that's the question, right? It is, should it though, right? This is the point. Like it, it, in certain situations, you can see, I'm, I'm thinking of, someone who, who holds a um, security deposit box yeah. and some property is put into that deposit box. You don't, and let's say it's at a bank, it doesn't have to be a bank, it could be any, any kind of company providing that service. You wouldn't expect that company to resolve the differences necessarily as to who owns yeah. the property that's being stored in their system, yeah. right? But that system is not creating the very property that's being stored in it. The property itself is not dependent upon the storage facility to exist. And this is where I think that, and this is where I think there is something to be said for the argument there are duties here. Because taking this as an analogy, I've got my very expensive jewelry that's been handed down in our family heirlooms. I can't stick it in the security deposit box. And then, you know, another family member comes along and then has a dispute about it. The jewellery exists in and of itself. It might be stored in the security deposit at the bank, and we have a debate between ourselves as to who it is, and the law has to resolve that. But that item sits there. It's not created by the bank. It's just held by them. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure if that piece of jewellery was somehow, it, it's, its very existence was part of an overall system. The people who provide the overall system, I think, may have some type of duty. It's it's worth exploring. It's I think in the bank context, the bank would be the bailey of the of the jewelry, but I don't think you can be a bailey over an intangible good. So you, so they need a different, and I, that's probably one of the issues here. You need a different duty, and that's why they're that's why the claimant here is looking but for. How different is it? Because the, the, this is a thing part of part of the, 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 well, they mentioned this somewhere that. The, the coin, the physical coin or physical property is actually very similar to what we're talking about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. it, 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 is, it, it, it is part of a software. Yes. It's something that exists. Yes. Right? Albeit in computers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a well, one of the interesting points that they just sort of didn't get into. <laughs> yeah. What? What is the property? And that's a, you know, everyone, everyone is in agreement that it is property. Um, but there was an interesting kind of flirtation with the interesting question of is each link, is each new link in the chain in itself, you know, property each time or is it, or is it something else? Um, another very interesting question that they may, that, you know, what they will, will, will have more, more, someone will shed more light on. Um, but it, going back to the, Going back to your initial um, quote of the internet is not a place where the law does not apply. That was in the context of the um, one of the defences from the developers was you can't create this duty because what if a what if a court in Liberia says that the that the relevant Bitcoin is owned by person A, but a court in Spain says it's owned by person B, and the court in the UK says it's owned by person C? How can we how can we deal with those competing decisions? But I don't like that argument. Because, 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 where does it lead? It, it's almost like saying that a court can't resolve a property dispute, right? Like, or it can't resolve it. I don't know. I don't think that's an answer. Yeah, and it, it, I agree with you because there are rules of, around comity and res judicata and all the rest. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, just because it might be difficult isn't the reason that necessarily say the duty doesn't exist or that this, this is too complicated a, a situation to work out. And I think I just keep coming back to the initial point that you were saying that this system is all based on trust. It's a system that's being set up outside of um, the, the usual banking currency type approach. And there is going to be an intersection between that type of system. And there's a whole debate about whether it really is decentralization or not, whether, whether that actually exists in this kind of setup um or is it a myth which which this goes to you know if, if if you have a system where where certain people are have the kind of ability authority and duty 
to actually go back and unwind fraudulent acts or unwind hacks and all the different things, then it stops being decentralized because you then have a, have the centralized body who can say, actually, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, I'm going to fix it. How decentralized is it? Because this comes on to bugs, right? I think we're going to touch on a few of these buzzwords that I mentioned at the outset. But if, if the developers have the ability to see bugs in the, in the system and correct the bugs, or as the court notes, not correct bugs because they're not really a bug or they, they, they shouldn't be corrected, that is a decision that they're making not to do something as well as to do something. If they have the ability to do that and then impacts on the system in some way, how decentralized is it really? And, I th and this is something I don't know the answer to, um, but maybe one of our listeners does, um, which is the extent to which there needs to be decentralized approval of the, of the fix or the um, leaving the bug in or, or the change that's being made. Because I'm not sure whether in the same way that the, the, the various different computers on the network have to have to approve that the next link in the chain is is correct i don't know whether there's also a requirement for the, the kind of approval of, of of any changes to the network where you need that critical mass but isn't that just like a democratization of of approval of a bug it doesn't mean that it can't be improved right yeah so it, 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 it can't be fixed and i, I just what, what I come back to again is, and I'm sounding probably a um, little conservative on it in a way, but I, I can't help but think that from a legal perspective, that when you devise a whole system that has this noble aim, you could argue, uh, to decentralise currency, so you don't have to go through the banking system, we can set this kind of private setup, um, that there is perhaps some element, and I mean this with the greatest respect to everyone involved and all the rest, and I, I, I know how big a deal all of this is, that there's some naivety in the idea that you're not going to have to have duties to certain people using that. The idea you can have $4 billion worth of property assets vanish like that and say, tough, tough titties, you know, some thieves came in and took it. Like, come on, right? It's... Uh, the, the law, the law is going to be stretched. The law, it's, I'm not saying that I necessarily think that there's a fiduciary duty here. I just, I, I think there's, the law is going to come up against that. And it's, it, it's going to try and really look at, well, how much trust is being put into this system? But what, what does the, what do the developers have to do then to, you know, because if someone gets hacked, if someone robs your house, whatever, you know, it's not, if if someone if someone robs the bank's charity box, for example, it's not necessarily you know the bank doesn't necessarily have to make sure that that those things don't happen. But you'd maybe like ensure that ensure the risk, or you would you know the, I guess what I'm driving at is the it's it's a it's a massive duty. It's some duty, right? Yeah, but the, the bank has has to have some duty to you in that scenario. Even even absent that they've created the property that they that they can change well i don't know if they can change it but it, it they can affect that property in some way put that to one side and it's just the normal situation they'll have some duty to you yes they will they have but they'll maybe have duties as a well you know, maybe you probably would have contract yeah in, okay. in, in reality but or a bailment yeah or a bailment and you would the i suppose the the, the point for me is are the are these developers required to prevent and basically underwrite the risk of somebody stealing something and then how realistic is it for them to say we're going to reverse this but are they then this is the point are they doing that or are they just having a feature that allows the property to dispute to yeah. be resolved yeah and and this is where the because this is a summary uh, application and, and because they're, they have to kind of look at the legal question rather than go into detail on the facts. The facts are, are portrayed in a light which is very favorable to the claimant. And they go, they yes. proceed on the basis of, as you say, well, let's, let's ignore the difficulties around who owns this thing. Um, let's imagine a situation where it could be said by a court, this person owned, th this person was the owner of this thing and it was, and it was taken away from them through a criminal act. Can you then 
justify not returning it to them. That's that's kind of the way the court is looking at it. It's really interesting. So should we just touch a bit on the law, Caleb? I, I kind of got completely carried away, which I knew I would on this. But for those following in, I think it might help just to start with what is a fiduciary and um, the the decision in Bristol and West Building Society and um, Motha, M- Matthew, um of 1998 uh, from, this is a decision of um, Lord Justice Millet uh, and I think it's just helpful to read this out. A fiduciary is someone who has undertaken to act for or on behalf of another in a particular matter in, st- in circumstances which give rise to a relationship of trust and confidence. There's that word trust again. The distinguishing obligation of a fiduciary is the obligation of loyalty. The principal is entitled to the single-minded loyalty of his fiduciary. And this core liability has several facets. Um, It goes on, a fiduciary must act in good faith. He must not make a profit out of his trust. He must not place himself in a position where his duty and his interests may conflict. He He may not act for his own benefit or the benefit of a third person without the informed consent of his principal. And that's not an exhaustive list. And there's this, there's a developments of this concept around reasonable expectations uh, and what someone might expect of um, of a fiduciary, um, and, and and some uh, some other points, but it, but it's this concept of when you have a relationship with someone else, and there's trust and confidence in them to do certain things. Yeah, you know, like a doctor or a solicitor, or you know, relationships where there's um, where one party maybe has some. Uh, special training or profession or knowledge or, or, or something and the other party goes to them and trusts them and trusts them to do something on their behalf. There's, a, there's an interesting bits in, in that same decision um, which where the, the judge said the fiduciary is not subject to fiduciary obligations because he is a fiduciary. It is because he is subject to them that he is a fiduciary. Exactly. I like oh, that wait. one. It's a really good line. Yeah, yeah. That's from the same decision, right? Same decision. But he, and you can't just say that that situation means that you're a fiduciary. You have to look at what's the what are the duties that the fiduciary owes, and then if they owe fiduciary duties, they are a fiduciary. But it's not a kind of. I mean, in some in some cases, you are you solicitor client. You you have a fiduciary relationship, but really, what you're looking at is what are the duties, and then are those fiduciary duties as opposed to is this a situation where that person is a fiduciary? Exactly. So when you bring it into this realm of you know, digital currencies um, and being a Bitcoin owner as against the developers of that system, you know, uh, are you setting it up in a way where, um, or is it set up in a way where the Bitcoin owner is trusting that the developers are going to uh, have a platform that works for them? Uh, And uh, there's more to it in that because there's this question of, undivided loyalty and and i think that's interesting in this concept isn't it in this context isn't it because who is the loyalty to you know because if if the loyalty is just to the individual bitcoin owner um and they then go in the developer goes into the system and does something to make sure okay they were the owner we're going to give give them back their bitcoin through some code if that's even possible which is in dispute, um, then that's to the detriment of other users on the platform. Or is the undivided loyalty, if there is any, to all Bitcoin owners? And as a part of that duty, well, does that mean it is to the benefit of all users if they have some duty and then, you know, they'd have to maybe design it or redesign it, what have you, to be able to resolve these types of property disputes? Which is kind of where, where I think it should go. I, I kind of think, I don't know whether the tech can do it, but it seems to me that there should be some kind of ability um, to decide who, to, to facilitate the, the a finding that someone has got that Bitcoin erroneously. So your, your view is basically that those developers, to the extent it's possible, should be able to or should be required to 
give effect to a, a court decision that says that property belongs to somebody. And so I, I think the starting point, and it's going to be fascinating. I, I really want, want to follow this through. I'd love to be involved in the in the matter. But we've got to get into this kind of work. Um, uh, it, because it's it, it, yeah, look, it's 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 fascinating lots of, lots of ways. Um, but I think there is uh, for the way it's laid out here, based on what we've read here, and this is heavily caveated in terms of what I think. But it's also heavy, heavily caveated because not all the facts have been argued here, and we don't have the full facts, particularly around what's possible and not possible. But I tend to lean towards. Um, the view that there is a fiduciary duty between developers of this type of platform and their their users, whether they like it or not, there is. Um, and that needs to be part of um, the design feature. It's almost like, I'll look at it a different way. It's almost like if you were setting out to design some tech and there was regulation in place, there was some regulation set up in a certain um, country, and who knows, that's, that's where this may all head anyway, um, that you have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to design your tech around that regulation. Yeah. Regulation can be in statute and you know promulgated by parliament and all the rest of it, but you can have law come through in different ways. And this is a feature of uh, common law and the, the incremental development of law and fiduciary duties where it may be that what actually has to happen here is that the tech needs to be designed, redesigned, to take into account that they have fiduciary duties. And so if you're sitting back to design the tech from the outset with the view that you have a fiduciary duty to your users, you may design it in a different way. Now, the argument against this is, well, that's not how, that's not even how this works. It's not possible. Uh, it's decentralized. Even if we want to do that, you can't, right? Um, but does that, I don't know, does that, I'm playing the What else? What about this? If you, so let's say this happens, right? And, and if, as a matter of fact, you can also prove that something like this, going back and, and, and kind of revising the developers be having the ability to go into into the um, the ownership of of Bitcoin. Um, if you can prove as fact that that would have a severe negative effect on the value of Bitcoin, then would you be acting in in line with the fiduciary duty to do it? Exactly, and that, and that's a that's a fascinating question. I see that. Like as soon as this is accepted, if this is ultimately upheld, that Bitcoin. Um, uh, developers or any digital currency um, blockchain-based developers have a fiduciary duty that has this type of effect, then one of the main appeals of Bitcoin falls away mm -hmm. because you can have disputes around ownership. They can become public. Yeah. It's not anonymous in the same way that, that, that people who use it may think it is. But is that the, the, the societal question, right, is, is that a bad thing, right? Is, is, that, is that not what this type of system actually needs to get the legitimacy in a societal wide, a wide societal context to actually rival the banking system? Because without it, there's a lot of headwinds against Bitcoin. It's a, it's a good point. And some, I think that the answer to that is likely that there'll be, there'll be centralized, um, centralized cryptocurrencies centralized by Bank of England, for example. And that, that will be, that, that will have more kind of legitimacy um, because people will, people will, well, people will place more trust, again, that's that word, people will put more trust in a system where it is centralized and where they know they can trust the people, or where they feel like they can trust the people at the center. This is my point. This is what, this is the fundamental, I'm trying to go deeper than, 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 than the level, like, than, than the facial level, is that, if, if we think about a, a doctor and a patient relationship, or we think about a solicitor and client relationship, we think about other types of relationships like that, fiduciary relationships, there seem, there's almost like an implicit understanding. Yeah, of course there's a, there's a relationship of trust there. Like, why would we think that someone who is developing a currency, right, that has so much value, that can wreak so much havoc if it goes wrong, that could cripple a family, 
you know, if they've got their they've got their life savings in in Bitcoin and some hacker comes along, like why wh why don't we think instinctively that someone who is developing that type of platform does not have a fiduciary duty to its users? Like I, I'm trying to go a little bit deeper. Yeah, and I I wonder if actually the one of the difficulties is that the the fiduciary duty is is like too much. That's too hot. It, like it, there's there's some other responsibility or, or uh, yeah some some other some other duty that maybe makes more sense. And, yeah, the common law is quite malleable, and this is a this is a new um, type of property, really. So, like, the, the ownership of the, the storing of that amount of value as a, as a line of code is quite is a pretty new thing, mm -hmm. and maybe there is some development in the law that that we'll see in in the UK or elsewhere to try and give effect to some degree of oversight. But the, 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 the issue that it's going to butt heads against is the, is the principle behind why Bitcoin was created in the first place. This idea that you have a decentralized system where you don't need to have any, in any individual person that you trust because the system creates the trust. I know what you're saying is that if you're creating the system that creates the trust, then you're creating a trust relationship. I totally, I totally get get what you're saying, Callum. And I think that's, I think that's right. And um, I certainly don't want to sound like I'm, you know, negative on on the, the whole concept. I'm not offering that kind of view. What I'm testing is um, the legal framework that ultimately is going to to hang around this type of new property class, and that's what we're talking about. Think about. Um, the law that has developed around ownership of houses, real property, right? The amount of law, the amount of arguments, the amount of cases, the whole area of conveyancing, title registries that have developed, right? And it's, they're paling in significance in terms of real value to some of these, some of these digital assets. The idea that law is not at some point through some mechanism, whether it's the common law, whether it's governments around the world, going to layer on top of it in some way, I think is just naive. It is. Yeah. The, the, the idea that you can just set it up and it's going to operate outside of all societal norms, it's not going to happen. There's going to be some interaction. And what's fascinating about this case, and for anyone who's interested in the intersection of tech and law, this is a great starting point. It's certainly not the end, it's just, you know, the, the, the first baby steps into it. Uh, but it, it starts to lay out the picture. But we'll get a, like I say, we'll get a decision on this. There's no way that the developers are going to just accept that they have this duty. There's no way that um, Tulip Trading or Craig White are going to say, actually, you know, well, we'll leave it now. In the next, you know, 12 months or so, maybe a little longer, we will have a really interesting decision on this duty. Yeah, I don't even know how long we've spoken for. Yeah, we've, we've been going at it for a while. But you're right, Cam. You're right. I, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be challenged. It goes to the core of this whole um, blockchain kind of approach. And where it leads is is fascinating, I think, from a legal perspective. Um, whether, whether regulation and... and um, uh, legislation is the way that this is going to end up being dealt with. Who knows? Maybe the common law moves first in, in this way. If, if this ultimately, you, can, I, you don't know. We were talking about you know briefly before, but the um, uh, you know the, the, the judge really kind of talks up the, the the idea that this this could well be a fiduciary duty, and then says, "Oh no, no, no I'm not. I'm not deciding this. So this is not a decision. Of course, this has to go to a full trial." But he he lays out the um, the uh, the case for it, and he, it's it's interesting. This is paragraph eighty six of the judgment. He says, "I recognise that for Tulip's case to succeed would involve a significant development of the common law of fiduciary duties," and then he kind of goes, "But this is how it would work." And he says, you know, um, the developers of a given network are a sufficiently well-defined group to be capable of being subject to fiduciary duties. Viewed objectively, the developers have undertaken a role which involves making discretionary decisions and exercising power for and on behalf of other people in relation to property owned by those people. The property has been entrusted into the care of the developers. The developers are therefore fiduciaries. The essence of that duty is a single-minded loyalty to the users of Bitcoin software. 
content of the duties includes a duty not to act in their own self-interest and also involves a duty to act in positive ways in certain circumstances. It may also realistically include a duty to act to introduce code so that an owner's Bitcoin can be transferred to safety in the circumstances alleged by Tulip. So he's, you know, it starts that paragraph by saying this would be a significant development. And obviously the courts are normally quite conservative when it comes to significant developments on common law, which has been around for a long, long time. But then he does tease what it would look like. He does. He does. And look, there's a, there's a number of factors in here. In, in deciding, in kind of getting to the point of saying that there could be a fiduciary duty here uh, and that it should go to, to trial, there are a number of factors. One, um, the court focuses on this relationship of trust and confidence, uh, and that's, that's a, a key one, and there's hallmarks of that uh, in the relationship between developers of this type of um, system and the owners of Bitcoins. He then goes on to say that the common law um, changes incrementally and, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's set up in a way or it's developed in a way where um, it can deal with new cases and new areas and that's not a reason not to look at them and not to test the common law. That's what it should be doing. And just because something new comes along that would mean that the change is substantial doesn't mean that it shouldn't be kind of tested. Yeah, and it shouldn't, they shouldn't push. Yeah, ex which, exactly. Which is how all common law develops. So it's, it's a, like, it's fascinating. I think we could probably talk about this, but probably will continue talking about this off, off recording, but it's... Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens next. And no doubt this will be back on the podcast. Yeah, I, I think we should track this one through. And um, I hope for all those Bitcoin developers out there that listen in that um, uh, you appreciate. I've, I've been kind of playing devil's advocate a bit here to, to ham it up. But there's, there's something to this. There's something to this. Uh, the, it's going to be fascinating seeing how this plays out because it, it, it's such um, an interesting area. It affects and will affect so many areas of um, societal life. We're talking about digital currencies here, but this, this kind of approach to the blockchain and tokenization goes through so many sectors that starting to see how the law in, interacts with the tech is, is fascinating. Well, look, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Please do jump in and, and send us you know, some feedback and let us know that we don't know what we're talking about or, you know, if you agree with either of us and some of the things that we've been saying. Um, not sure the two of us um, totally agree on this one. But, uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed chatting it through with you, Callum. Really good fun. Yeah. Hopefully people will tell us how wrong we are on our understanding of the technology. So <laughs> don't be shy. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you, everyone. Until next time, take care.